subject, leadership in the home and in the church. Um, What I need to talk about this morning um, covers ground which sometimes is contentious in churches and is a real hot potato. So um, when we come to those places, if you just want to walk out, that's fine. Just Just do what you like. Now let me explain. As a church, we're going through this book, um, which is called Vision and Values. Um, We've put on paper what we believe as a church are the things we want to do and the way we want to do them, to preserve something of a heritage which is sort of proved to be um, a growing way of going on. Um, We call ourselves a church. This is God's body. You know, it's God's doing. Um, It's a thing which is marvellous in his eyes, isn't it? It should be a thing which is marvellous in our eyes, the church. But sometimes it isn't. Sometimes it's just like a club. And that's the way we treat it sometimes. Sometimes we feel, oh, well, it's it's not important. I'm not really significant. I haven't got anything particular to do. Um, but I just go today because I feel like going. But that's not how God intended it. The church is a very important place. So on page 12, it has leadership in the church. And uh, because the subject this morning is leadership in the home and the church, the two are very much intertwined. Responsibility issues in leadership... And, um, and like is, uh, Paul writes to a young man called Timothy, the way that we ought to behave ourselves in the house of God. So there is a, a different behaviour, there's a certain behaviour that's expected, there's a certain way of going on which God expects us to conform to. Not in a legal way, but in a grace-calling way. In a minute we shall read some words from this letter which Paul wrote to Timothy... And he uses Lord's words like ought, should, not must. And he's sort of telling Timothy the way that a church should behave in those sort of terms. Like the way that a father would talk to his child and say, this is the best way to do it. Not you must do it. Do it because you want to do it. Do it because you believe it's right. We sung just a verse up on the board all my fears and failures, all the things I believe in, all the things I believe in. Can I just say to you, um, what, do, what, do you, what are you believing in this morning? Is there something you hold very dear that you believe and you feel that that's important to you? Or are you not quite sure that you actually believe anything? Or are you are not quite sure what things to believe? Because we actually act on the things we believe. If, if we believe they're important, then we actually do them. And church is like that. It's, it's not a club. It's a place where we do things because we believe that's the right thing to do. And we believe it pleases God. And we believe, you know, that it's going to make a difference make a difference in our world and in our society. God owns this world. 
God owns this world, and the church is very important in this world. So leadership. My uncle used to come home from the pub um, singing this. My name is Mac Manara, I'm the leader of the band. And um, in all forms of life, there is leadership, clubs and stuff like that. I had to look up on Wikipedia what the song was all about. And so I did that. And um, I'll, I'll, I'll just, um, when I find the words here, I'll just read it. You see, it might interest some, because Bing Crosby sung it, so that'll interest some people. My name is Mac Manara, I'm the leader of the band, and though we're small in number, we're the best in all the land. Oh, I'm the conductor, and we often have to play with all the blessed musicianers you hear about today. And yeah, the churches sometimes seem like that. We're small in number, but we believe we're the best. We believe we're the best in all the land. But all efficient organisations throughout the world, and I believe there's a godly intent about this, there is what we call the management tree, isn't there? The leader, then those under him, and then us under those. And it's a pyramid which works when done efficiently. Sometimes it doesn't work. But we talk about Jesus Christ being the head of the church. If there's something we want to believe in, let us believe that this morning, that Jesus Christ is the head of the church. That is a truth we must believe in. That's why we come, because we believe Jesus has promised to presence himself amongst us by the power of his spirit. We own his name, we praise him, we worship him, because we know he's the head and he's done everything to remind us that he is the head. It's not just a name. It's not just a position. He's head because he's head, because he's ruler overall. He's ruler overall. So John goes home singing on a Sunday morning all his way home. My name is Mac Monara. I'm the leader of the band. This church here has two elders, I'm one, John is the other, John is the lead elder. There are also trustees in our church here. There's a sense of leadership here. There is also apostolic oversight, so that if the leaders are spending all the money and they're doing things which are wrong and that you're not pleased with, you have someone to go to and you can say, these boys aren't behaving themselves or we're not really getting any good leadership, we're not getting any model for them to, for us to look to and to cherish, who do we turn to? And the many other believers, you know, around us, those with what we call apostolic oversight, the gifting to seek and put their finger on the button and say, yes, there is something wrong. We just need to do something about it. You either need to step aside or we need to bring in another leader who will make sure that things are done properly. So leadership in the church and in the home is very important. So I go home singing. My old man said, follow the man and don't dilly-dally on the way. But they did dilly and dally on the way. And sometimes the followers, the sheep of the church, very often dilly-dally seeking to follow Jesus and to follow what your church is really committed to. Leadership 
in the home and in the church. So this is a book on this is a book on vision and values. It covers leadership in the church. So what is our value here this morning? Our value is to have and maintain leadership in the home and church. To have leadership. There are some churches who do not have leadership or they have a dictatorial leadership and it doesn't work. Ultimately, there must be leaders in the church. That's something we can believe in. And if we believe that the church needs leaders, then we need to honour that. That's something we need to believe in, is to honour leadership. The Bible tells us to honour our leaders. It also says to all Christians, you need to honour your leaders in the world because God has put them in place. Do we do that sometimes? We don't, do we? And the Bible also tells us that we should pray for our leaders, governmental leaders, local leaders, even our bosses. If we're a believer in Jesus Christ, we have a responsibility to pray for those but the Bible says, in authority over us. There are people in church who don't believe that there is any authority over them and they won't really submit to leadership. Things sadly go wrong when that happens and church seems to be unimportant and we seem to get interested, disinterested and we just follow what we feel and what we think. So honouring leadership is not about Praying for them, honouring leadership, is by hearing what they have to say and how they direct us. And the assumption is that we do that, we do that because we believe they're okay. In Psalm 11, verse 23, in verse 3, it says, If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? So we believe that leadership is foundational. All right? Our value is to have and maintain leadership in the home and church. Our vision, what's our vision then? To maintain it biblically. It's all right to maintain leadership, but to maintain it biblically is another thing. So what are those things that we're aiming to maintain biblically? Godly biblical leadership is foundational for the church. And if you have a Bible, would you turn to 1 Timothy? This is a book in the New Testament towards the end of the Bible. It has a little one in front of the Timothy and then it has another number afterwards. And the number afterwards, the number after is 3. So it's 1 Timothy 3. We're going to, the, in the context of this letter, an older man is writing to a younger man. The older man is named Paul. The younger man is named Timothy. Timothy was a man who dedicated himself to follow Christ, to follow him faithfully. And the elder men, they saw, here's a young man that's doing well. We're going to honour him by laying hands of him. He's going to be a leader in the church. He's going to demonstrate leadership by the way he lives his life amongst the people that make up the church. 
And so Paul writes to him in a way that's going to encourage him and help him, and he's going to give him the things which actually make for setting order in the church. So he's going to give Timothy the issues of leadership. You know, what it's like to actually be a leader amongst people. So this older man, Paul, is writing to a younger man, Timothy. The first thing I'd like to say to be a young man and a follower of Jesus Christ is the best thing that you can be and do in this world. One of the Old Testament writers says, remember your creator when you're young. To be a follower of Jesus Christ as a young man is the most important thing you can do in this world. If you never knew Jesus when you were younger and you've come to know him midlife or now you want to dedicate your life to Jesus Christ, well done. That's an important place to be too. It's to find and know Jesus Christ as your saviour. What we're going to read in a moment assumes one important thing, that the true church is made up of people who've known, who know and follow Jesus Christ because they found him to be their saviour. They've actually committed, they found something to believe in, and they say, Lord Jesus, I know that you came into this world to die for my sins, and I want to give my life to you because you died for me. That's what Paul is saying to Timothy. When we read something, it's always good to know why it was written in the first place. What was the writer's intention? And we're very fortunate about this, this little letter because it tells us why Paul wrote the letter to Timothy. And if you look in verse 14 of chapter 3, it says, Although I hope to come to you soon, I'm writing you these instructions so that if I'm delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar of and foundation of the truth. Beyond all question, the mystery of godliness is great. And this is really referring to Jesus. He appeared in a body, was vindicated by the Spirit, was seen by angels, was preached among the nations, was believed on in the world, and was taken up into glory. So some important things there which Paul is writing. He says, I'm writing these things because the church is the most amazing and awesome body of people that was ever intended to inhabit this world. And I say that because it's not what we're told. We're told that the church is dying out. We're told that the church has no relevance in our society. We are told that it has nothing to offer. We also hear, too, that they're all hypocrites in there. And they're probably right, because most people who live on this world are, to some degree and some level, hypocrites. We don't always do the things we say. We don't always act the way we want to. We don't actually come up to our own standards, even if we make them on the 1st of January. <laughs> We don't come up. We don't keep it. We're failures, really. That's what we're saying this morning. My fears and my faith, we're failed people. But the church is made up of failed people who found new life in Jesus Christ. 
We found new life in Jesus Christ. We found something to believe in. We found a purpose that's happening in the earth, which doesn't only last for a few years, but goes on for eternity. That's why. And so what's mirroring God's plan on earth is fundamentally important. That's why God has played leadership in the church. That's why he's placed it there. And might I say, the home as well. We live in a warped society. And that the issues of God's ideal in a family just aren't here in many places. But it's what God wants. Because it helps to develop society in the right way. And it honours God. And it honours God. True family life. And it's amazing how Paul writing to Timothy here sort of in, in his, the background, in, in his mind, he's using, he's using um, imagery of the family life mirrored in the church. And what's in the church is mirrored in the family because the two are so intertwined. And so intertwined. So let's read these words. We know why he wrote these words. And it says, Here is a trustworthy saying, chapter 3, verse 1. If anyone sets his heart on being an overseer, the word bishop is actually used in other translation. You could put leader in there. Someone who's responsible for church life. Someone who's responsible for church life. If anyone sets his heart on being an overseer, he desires a noble task. It's a high calling to be a leader. It's a noble task. You can desire to do that. Sometimes you may not get to that position, but you may desire it. And I suppose Paul was thinking of Timothy, and Timothy was looking to lead the church, or to have an impact on it, or be responsible for it. And so Paul is saying, if anyone sets his heart on being an overseer, he desires a noble task. Now the overseer must be above reproach. The husband of but one wife, Temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to much wine. And I'm so glad that little line is in there. I'm so glad it's there. Because I like that little glass of wine, you know. But if you read down, it talks about, you know, deacons likewise. And it seems there are two differences is the teaching role and the drinking wine role, right? The one is, you know, um, he's, not given to, he's not given to much wine, but the other one says he doesn't take too much wine, you know? There's just a little clarification there, but there you go. Now the overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to much wine. Not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him with proper respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. He must also have a good reputation with outsiders so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. 
Deacons, likewise, are to be men worthy of respect, sincere, not indulging in much wine, and not pursuing dishonest gain. They must keep hold of the deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience. They must first be tested, and then if there's, anything, if there's nothing against them, let them serve as deacons. In the same way, their wives are to be women worthy of respect, not malicious talkers, but temperate and trustworthy in everything. A deacon must be the husband of but one wife and must manage his children and his household well. Those who have served well gain an excellent standing and great assurance in their faith in Christ Jesus. Although I hope to come to you soon, I'm writing you these instructions so that if I'm delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in the God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. And beyond all question, the mystery of godliness is great, so great. He appeared in a body, was vindicated by the Spirit, was seen by angels, was preached among the nations, was believed on in the world, and was taken up into glory. I think it's a fantastic chapter, very, very challenging but everyone gets the idea how important the church is or should be. Sadly, it's not the picture that's around us if we look at the church overall. It's just thwart with problems and difficulties. But I tell you this, it will survive. The church is growing. You see, God hasn't allowed news reporters and people who are only bystanders and looking in to understand what it's all about. So they won't see it. So what you read in the newspapers and hear on the television, if, that, if what we're hearing is not of godly intent, it will come across all wrong. What it says, great is the mystery of godliness. And it's because it is a mystery to bystanders who are looking in, but it's not a mystery to those who are in it and know what it's all about. So if you don't know Jesus as your saviour, you will find it difficult to understand some of these truths this morning. If you're finding it difficult, don't be afraid to challenge or to ask. But to say, just, I want to know more, I want to see more. Because that's where we should be. An honest and open looking in to God's intent to know what he wants. So what is having leaders about? It's about preserving the way of the church in the process of history under the direct governance of God. The governance of God. God has chosen the church to be the body which brings his government into the world. You won't necessarily find it in our earthly governments, but we should find it in our churches. That's why God has placed leaders in the church. What was it Paul said to Timmy? It's the church of the living God. That it means it's an awesome body of people which God has chosen to dwell in. 
an awesome body of people which God has chosen to dwell in. That's you and me if we're part of the church. And that's an awesome thing. It's a tremendously responsible thing. It's the greatest thing in the earth. The church is not made up of ad hoc anybodies. Each person that's a member of God's church, as far as God is concerned, was chosen before the foundation of the world. How special can that be? Chosen before the foundation of the world. Like Julian said this morning, we who weren't a people are now a people. So special in God's eyes. So special. And so God, it's about preserving God's way in the process of history. And even though governments may override what the church really believes in, we still need to stand for that truth and hold on to it. Say, we believe this is what God says. And with that in mind, we process with God's help to try and change that in society if we can. It's about preserving God's governance in the earth. In 1 Timothy 3 and verse 14 we read, it, while Paul is writing, the whole reason for the existence of the church is awesome, actually. The whole existence of the church is awesome. It's a church of the living God. It demands exemplary behaviour because it is God's household. Now I think any family, any true Christian family should see themselves, say this is God's household. His ways matter. The leadership matters. The way we come in, and we, the way we go out and come in is important. Not only do we have to do right, sometimes we have to be seen to do what's right. Maintaining a standard. And that's the same for the church. And even though we were here to 12, 1 o'clock with Derek Stag party at uh, one time, just before he got married, um, I think people wondered what was happening outside here. We had a, a mock wedding ceremony in, this, in here. And Derek was married before he was married. We probably never told you about that, but um, um, that's what happened. I mean, you know, some of them might have said, what that lot doing there? But there's sometimes things you have to do, you know, you not only do them because they're right, but you do them because you need to be seen to do what's right. Maybe it's a silly thing to do, I don't know. Maybe say, what are they up to over there? Silly church. But, you know, sometimes that has to be the case. It demands exemplary behaviour because it's God's household. It is God's governance on earth because Paul writing to Timothy here says it is the foundation, the pillar, and the foundation of the truth. And the truth means truth. That as, God, as far as God is concerned, that which is open, that which is right and correct for life and for godliness. That is what the truth is. And the church is the pillar and the foundation of the truth. That's why we have leaders. Because they remind us of what is true. They remind us of what is foundational. And they try with all their best efforts to keep to that, so that this awesome church maintains its standard. 
It will not be understood by disinterested bystanders, but it should have and give truth-based answers to life and godliness. What do we say about homosexuality? And what do we say about um, any sexual relation? Men going with prostitutes and all that sort of thing. Sexual issues, if you like. What do we say about that? Maybe you can discuss that in cell, so I'll relegate that responsibility to you this week. But what does the church have to say? Is it important that the church has something to say about these issues? It is. Because what God gives us is for life and godliness. The way we conduct our families, God has a way. God has a purpose. God has do's and don'ts, if you like. The way we conduct our families, because this is an issue, and the same is modelled in the church. So leaders, having leaders is to lead and care for the gathered community, as the book says. Having leaders, you say, well, why have you got leaders? Having leaders is to lead and care for the gathered community. So that's the pastoral issue. That is the pastoral issue. Now, being a pastor is not always the leader. Pastoral is a gifting. Some men are able to look after people and deal with people better than what others can. And that's a pastoral issue. That's more gifting than leadership. But ultimately, the leader says, these are people that need to be looked after and cared for. They need care and attention. And so if a leader comes after you and says, hey, get on, mate. You say, what's he poking his nose in for? It's about caring for you. Having leadership is about care and concern for people. And sometimes we don't open ourselves up to leaders, to people asking questions. We reserve things. And I, and I know we, we like to keep things secret sometimes, but I think seeking God's help, if there's an issue to be dealt with which is really holding you back and really needs to be exposed so that God will bless your life, you need to find someone you can share that with. And be open with them about that so that they might speak into you words of truth which God has provided. God doesn't want any captives in his camp. He wants people who are free. Free to worship him and to feel free in their spirit as they go out every morning to serve him. Free with the joy he gives and free with the peace. (laughs) Talking about peace earlier on. And John said sometimes to maintain Peace, it needs military intervention. I think that's like the church sometimes, isn't it? You know, when there's not peace in the camp, it needs military intervention. So drastic are our problems sometimes. Having leaders is about caring for the gathered community. Having leaders is to serve as Jesus did by submission and accountability. By submission and accountability. You will find that Jesus is the head of the church. The man is next and the woman is next. And there is a submission role here. Within the Godhead, Jesus submitted to the Father. He said, all that the Father tells me to do, 
I do. When he was facing the cross, he said, not your will, not my will, but yours, be done. And sometimes this is the issue. It's the issue of submission. Ultimately, when we come to Jesus to receive him as saviour, we're actually submitting to the authority of the Bible. We're saying, yes, I now agree with God, what he says in the, in, in the Bible, I now accept that, I agree with it, and I want to believe it. It's my, my faith. It's now what I trust in. So ultimately, coming to Jesus is about submitting to the final authority of the book, the Bible. Okay? When it comes to the family and into the church, the Bible talks about female being subject to male, being in submission. It doesn't mean to say that the male does the wicked thing running around with a stick and making females submit. But it's talking about a submissive role to authority over her. And why that's important in the family is because of this. Because children growing up in a family need an understanding of submission to God's authority. We live in a world where there is little submission to authority. So if, if anything that a mother does to the father and says, now you listen to your father. This is what I think, but see if your father agrees with me. It's ultimately submission to authority, God's authority. And it needs a demonstration of that, both in the family and in the home. Now that's a bit of a condition issue sometimes. But it's because we've got it wrong. We believe it wrong. We act it out wrong. But I believe that children growing up in a society know where submission to authority over is so important. And if we don't have that, if we don't have that, then a child will go on not submitting to authority in their lives, having someone over. Jesus submitted. To serve as Jesus did by submission and accountability, that's what got leaders, really. And you find people in church doing their own thing, having their own agenda, and that's most harmful to the church. I remember we, we were gathering for prayer here one Sunday morning, and uh, it was a big issue. It was, uh, I don't think it was in this country, but the, the issue was of switching off a life support machine, of a child being maintained on a life support machine. And the words coming from all over the world, yes, switch it off. Don't switch it off. You've got to wait. And there was all this going backwards and forwards. And the time came when someone made the decision to turn off the life support machine. Now, that person could have been right or could have been wrong. But they took the decision and that was right. It was the authority of the decision of one who had the authority to do that. 
And sometimes in church we find that decisions are made which don't always please us, which we don't always feel are right. But ultimately for our group of people we have to honour the authority or the leadership and own that to be right and then come in behind it. I tell you for why. Because if any leader makes a decision which is wrong but has made that decision seeking God for that decision, if it is wrong, God will make it right. He will ultimately turn it round because he's able to do that. The importance is here is recognising who is over us and following us to create unity in the body so that it may go forward in strength and in power. That's what enables it to do. In the context of the family, someone needs to make the decision. And under God, the husband or the head of the family makes that decision. Now in a society where there's not always a father about or there's not always a leader in a family, the decision has to be made by someone, the mother or the someone, the parent, whoever it is, and that decision has to be made. We understand that. And we understand that life throws all sorts of things at our families, all things at us as individuals. But ultimately what we must recognise here, that Satan is trying to mar God's picture of Christ and the church. That's what he's trying to do. The satanic work in this earth is to spoil the picture of Christ, who is the head of the church, and his bride, the church, and to make a mess of that picture. Make a mess of it. So we have to understand principles. And these, when it talks about the church being the pillar and the ground of the truth, you may not understand it if you're looking in, but if you're inside it, we need to understand what it is. So to serve as Jesus did by submission and accountability is the direct governance of God. The next one, leaders, having leaders is about honouring the person of the Holy Spirit in the church as to the word of God, as to this book, as to fruit developed in people's lives, which is about character, making changes, my behaviour and stuff like that, the way I carry on. To honour the person of the Holy Spirit in that, and also in the distribution of gifting to each person in the church. And the Bible clearly tells us that we haven't all got the same gifts. But it does tell us that God uses all the gifts to benefit the whole church. <clears throat> Talking about the gift of being a pastor. That's a gifting, mainly a gifting. Essentially it's a gifting. It's not a leadership thing. Essentially the pastoral thing is a gifting. Leadership is also a gifting. Mark Driscoll has written a good, some good books, but when he was at Brighton, he said um, people with gifts usually fall into three different characteristics, characteristics because in the Bible there are prophets, priests, and kings. And um, the prophets are able to speak into people's lives and have special words for them. And they can advise people, and what they say seems to be important. Sometimes someone says something to you, say, don't really sound important to me. I'll ignore what they said. But some people have the gift to say the right thing 
at the right time, which helps us. We call that prophetic gifting. Prophet, priest. Some people are able to lead others in worship and seem worshipful in their spirit and seem to honour God. And what they say seems to praise God and you're just caught up with it because they're able to do that. They seem to come between you and God in a special way and direct you in the right path. That's like priestly gifting. And then there's the king, the administrative gifting. And all the gifts seem to fall under one of those three categories somehow, some way. So how would you call John then? What's his gift in someone? Come on, tell me what he's best at. Pardon? He's a king. Administrative. When Fred was a leader, what would you describe Fred as when he was a leader? Pastoral? That's how it works. I'm not going to ask you how, you, how I'll describe me. But you get, um, I'll give that job to Jack later. But that's how it happens, isn't it? The gifting is to help people. But that's how they fall. <coughs> Having leaders is about caring for the, honouring the person of the Holy Spirit, distribution of gifting to each one as he wills. What do you think your gifting is? Have you never voiced your gifting to anybody? Said, I feel I'm gifted in this. You think I'm of use? Yeah, of course. Absolutely. Whatever it is. Maybe you don't know and you want to find out what it is. <coughs> Voice your gifting because having leaders is about honouring the Holy Spirit. Time's gone, so I'm just going to stop. And I've got one and a half more pages. <laughs> but you can have the notes later. Time's gone, I don't want to keep you. But I think what I'm really trying to say this morning Let's raise the profile of the church in our thinking and the way we act to honour leadership, to submit to authority over us in one way or another, to honour that and to do all we can for the cause of the church, being dedicated and committed to the local body. When you're missing, we feel it. We feel it. The body's hurting when you don't get in. Father, I just thank you so much for this wonderful body which we belong to, the church of the living God, the foundation and the pillar of the truth. Lord Jesus, help us to respect the church as we would say that we respect and honour you because we're your bride. Help us to look out for one another. Help us to motivate one another. Help us, Father, in all this, because your church needs to be seen, to be where God resides. God has his place. And you, Lord, have your purpose here. Help us, we ask, in Jesus' name. Amen. We can have some uh, coffee now, and there's uh, also.